So we were just kind of chatting before we started recording about listens and what content's doing well and how the Elon stuff took off. And we said before, like we wanted to talk about AI and GTP3 and and how that is dominating content at the moment. I mean, I don't know what your feed's like. For me, it's just people chatting to GTP3 going, I'm going to write a book and GTP's doing it. It's the hot topic. Yeah, it is. It's 100% the hot topic. And it, it just shows like we knew about AI tools like a year ago, two years ago, whatever. We've talked about Jasper, for example, on this podcast before. But I had tried dragging people into my world going, it's really good. All of these tools are amazing. But it seems only now like it's sort of hit the zeitgeist where people are like inspired enough to be like, oh, yeah, I'm really up for trying this. Yeah, yeah, definitely. I, I I think we should talk about why that is. I mean, because it's, it's fascinating that the Elon Musk episode that we put out is probably one of our best, if not the the best so far. And I think if we spoke about AI content production, that would also do really well because it's the same in business. It's much easier to catch a wave, as, as the phrase is, you know, to catch a trend and be a part of something that's growing, a starving market in Alex Hormozzi's terms, than it is to try and make something popular, to try and increase its popularity. Now, as it happens, we wanted to talk about AI content production anyway. Hopefully, it'll be popular. This will test our theory. So we said we'd just do this as like a, a short episode, maybe 20 minutes on AI content and, and where it's going. So you, you said like, GTP3 seems to have caught the wave. Why do you think that is? Oh, just because it's ubiquitous. Like, it's literally everywhere. You know, it started off, it launched, and, you know, the the kind of mavens, the first adopters I saw were on Twitter going, oh, my God, check this tool out. And obviously it helps that Elon Musk is part of that, I believe. So, you know, he was able to, like, amplify the reach of it. And I think I saw Mark Benehoff and him bantering about s- stories that Chat um, GPT was writing about entrepreneurs and billionaires and stuff right so you know it already was able to immediately hit quite a big audience and obviously because Elon is the post boy for business news social controversy at the moment you know it's no wonder kind of like at all that he might have focused on has kind of taken off Twitter's one thing right is when I'm on Facebook you know where it audiences are much older things take a while to reach over there and LinkedIn as well because despite the ickiness of LinkedIn yeah it it sometimes shows up-to-date stuff but not often people have just stick with tried and tested tools and formulas over there so seeing that seeing GPT on LinkedIn my normal Facebook feed that sort of tells me oh it's it's reached the four corners of the internet how about you it's, it's kind of doing that adoption curve thing isn't it like innovators you know disruptors early adopters late stage early adopters and now we're even seeing like laggards going oh that you know it's, it's gone through that cycle really yeah. quick so, love that laggards yeah well uh, what's his name that writes the, the book about uh customer adoption I can't remember I'm sure is it Steve Blank it might be Steve Blank's book crossing the chasm I think is the book I'm thinking of. There's a lovely, like, it's just an even distribution curve. And this is just some nerdy data, kind of slightly off at a tangent. But typically, like, innovators make up about 2.5% disruptors. So people that are usually mismatches when you go, it's raining outside, they go, yeah, but it's lovely to walk in the rain. You know, these type of people that want the early tech. 
as um, that's usually about 2.5% of the market. And then early adopters, I think about 12% of the market. And then late stage early adopters, about 34% of the market. And you usually are considered to have market domination about 16.5% of the market. And I'm sure that's like a Boston consultant group uh, term. Might be talking absolute rubbish here. I'm sure our, our uh, resident YouTube fact checker. I'm here to fact check you. <laughs> Crossing the chasm is by Michael Moore, but I think... Michael Moore, yeah. Yeah, yeah, but your you, you fellows, Steve Blanks and Eric Reese took from that, basically. Um, I love that concept. Just to go back to ChatGDP3 then. So for people that don't know what we're talking about, OpenAI are the, the company that are building on this framework. And then they kind of position themselves as like open source software. They're not they're for profit. And they've provided this API, which everyone's building on, so Jasper and copy AI and all these people and they are applying like their own weight into the algorithm but everyone's building on the same fundamental AI some people saying they're not a lot of people are that are saying they're not anyway if, they all are. yeah if you want to give what we're talking about a go it's chat.openai.com forward slash chat and it's a free little dialogue thing you can chat into they've done a crap job of uh, seo because they're all i guess they don't need to it's quite difficult to find by google but i think the reason this is kicked off is because they've uh, simplified the UI. It's This is like we see in the movies with Iron Man and, and Jarvis. Like, you just say what you're thinking, and it, it responds in the same way that, you know, Weibo on Flubber, do you remember Weibo? Or any of the uh, sentient, like, robot things out of Star Wars. You could just talk to them, and they, would, they could process it and respond. Like, that's how this is set up. So the barrier to entry for the user experience there's no setup there's no credit card there's no like oh what template should i use do i need to put in some different prompts it's like no no just just type stuff and it'll respond and and you don't necessarily get the best responses as as you would compared to some of these tools like jasper ai which is set up for copywriting and blog content and things but it's much lower barrier to entry technically you don't need any skill no what i think is the most exciting thing about chat gpt is its ability to what we would call creatively think, right? Obviously, it needs input in order to do that creative thinking. I haven't found you you can get with like some of the, the copywriting AI tools. So, for example, I asked the tool this week to write me a letter that I would pen to the members in my membership, but it had to be in the style of "Twas the night before Christmas." because obviously, as we're recording this, we're coming up to Christmas. And I wanted to talk about a story that it was the night before Christmas and a business owner needs to go to sleep in order to get the present of rest before they start the next year, right? Pretty weird and out there and odd as a concept, right? Yeah, if you gave that as a brief to a copywriter, they'd be like, Okay, tell me some more. Uh, like, what do you mean on this bit? Yeah, yeah. So, you know, I literally wrote a line saying, write me a letter to a small business owner in the style of it was a night before Christmas. I didn't even say twice. And it, it wrote that first paragraph. And then I said, can you finish the story and explain that when the business owner woke up and came downstairs they found a new sense of purpose about their business under the Christmas tree 
and it did. So I'm going to, I'll read it to you. It says, "'Twas the night before Christmas, and all through your small business, not a creature was stirring, not even the owner. The owner was snuggled in their bed, dreaming of all the success and prosperity the new year would bring. They knew that in order to make the most of next year, it was important to take some time to rest and recharge over the holiday season. As the owner closed their eyes and drifted off to sleep, they knew that with a clear mind and rested body, they would be ready to tackle whatever challenges the new year might bring so that was paragraph one in the morning as if by magic the business owner woke up feeling refreshed and rejuvenated as they made their way down to the living room they couldn't help but feel a sense of excitement and anticipation and when they finally reached the Christmas tree they found something even more wonderful than they could have imagined there nestled amongst the twinkling lights and shiny tinsel was a renewed sense of purpose and direction for their business in 2023. With a <laughs> smile on their face, the business owner knew that this holiday season had been the perfect opportunity to rest and recharge, and they were ready to tackle the new year with all the energy and determination they needed to succeed. The end. <laughs> I mean, that's unreal, isn't it? That is unreal. Like my favourite bit is like, they're nestled amongst the twinkly lights and shiny tinsel. Like, how is it no to like pull that together to make the story feel that twee because it could have picked any copy right yeah I, it's, it's interesting this because we spoke previously didn't we about the difference between ai and things that are just doing machine learning and what what makes something sentient what gives you know something what helps something pass the turing test and we're saying well ai can't have emotion doesn't have feelings but some of this writing I mean, that's that's the fascinating thing about writing, isn't it? Is that it evokes emotion, it evokes feelings. And if it's able to synthesize that, it might not understand, it might not have that feedback loop of how it's making you feel, but it knows the patterns and the cadence. And I've been studying like crazy copywriting, newsletters, done a few courses lately, because this is my project for 2023. You know, I said I was going to make us a million pound. Well, this is what I'm working on. And the course that I, I've done basically is is just copy work it's called copy that try copy that by sampa and essentially it's just he's got it's 14 days of the best copywriting he's ever come across and then you literally read it he explains a few things about it and then you write it out by hand and the reason you write it out by hand is so that you get that pattern recognition like you you get the cadence you see when it you know crescendos and when it diminishes and if it's short sharp staccato like sentences you you like get the rhythm of it and then you also see like the use of language that is like juxtaposition to to try and make people feel something so i've been doing all this by hand and then i was there curious thinking to myself what if i just put all of these examples into chat gtp3 and say okay this is what good looks like now can you do something like that, but about this other topic and the quality that it spits out. I'm thinking, Jesus Christ, like after two years of practice, maybe I'd be that good. This thing is already there <laughs> for clarity for anyone listening. Like this thing is learned from the entire web, all the content on the web up to 2019. And it's able, able to synthesize that information based on the query that you've asked it. It's very, very, very intelligent. And people are using it for writing contracts. They're using it for writing ads. They're using it for writing scripts for movies. They're using it for writing stories like you did for jokes, for all kinds of stuff. And I think where it's going to get interesting this is my personal thoughts on it is that when like that's cool it's really clever but when you can start to say to it like okay i'm writing for middle-aged demographic that are business owners and i want to write in the style of my favorite person you know like 
for instance, we, we spoke a lot about the tone of our podcast. We want it to be British. So, you, you know, we've kind of brainstormed on this. Well, it's Queen Elizabeth. It's James Bond. It's, you know, the Italian job movie is Roger Moore. It's all, you know, it's, it's Richard Branson. And we, and we kind of want to mesh that into, I mean, at some point, maybe that's our intro. Like, but this thing can do that already and i wonder like is 2023 going to be the year that we see the first you know podcast that's in the top 10 that's just ai because there's no two ways about it it's way more intelligent than us it's not as creative yet but it's it's way smarter (laughs) so obviously the big thing that's come up in a lot of the posts i've seen shared in that laggard area of the internet that you spoke of earlier, is is AI going to take our jobs? Is AI going to take our jobs? And um, I saw this uh, clip from a BBC documentary that had come out in 1969, and they'd interviewed some high school students, some secondary school students, and asked them what they thought about, you know, what would happen in the year 2020, right? So, you know, it seems like really far in the future for them. And the kids were basically, you know, they were like teenagers. They were basically saying, you know, well, there'll be so much automation that there'll be no jobs in the future. Only people who can program the computers will be around <laughs> and it will be very boring. You, you, there won't be anything to do because people won't have a purpose. They won't have a job. And obviously, fast forward like 50 nearly years later and that's you know not the case there are jobs I think AI and robots and automation have probably improved the world for the better in many areas healthcare logistics travel you know just just to kind of name a few it's connected us in ways we didn't know we could be connected to create like a global village you know like the internet and social media. And I think that people's fear comes from that the unknown, you know, they didn't know what was going to happen in 1969. You see these articles that are quite twee now from the 90s where they're like, the internet won't take off. That's a fad, you know. And I think the same is happening now where people are saying, well, you know, AI is going to take our jobs. (laughs) It's probably not. It's probably going to improve the jobs of a lot of people and make you know, businesses work better. That said, though, I think there's going to be some, I hate this phrase, but collateral damage. In the same way that you don't need secretaries, like secretary typing pools, to sit and type up an entire business's memos for the day, because you can just send a message via DM, you probably aren't going to need technical copywriters, right? Because AI can, like, just pull that type of thing together. If there is a standard knowledge about a topic and you need to pull content together for it, you probably don't need to hire someone to do that anymore. You could ask AI to do that. If you need some creative copy, probably you could could rely on AI to do it. There might be someone who needs to be an intermediary and do some editing and make sure weird things, you know, aren't stripping out or whatever. But I I think from a copywriting point of view, there'll be more sub-editors, people checking the copy, people making sure it makes sense to, like, human beings. So 80-20 rule. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. I don't think designers have anything to worry about at the moment. I just don't think image AI is good enough to trick the human eye. But, you know, this is 2022. By the time we get to 2030, who knows, (laughs) really? I don't think editors or web designers at the moment have much to worry about. But again, you can program AI to edit, you know, episodes or... I've seen the AI tools that will build websites from scratch very, very effectively. Uh, I've, I've followed a guy for 
oh, 10, 15 years. Daryl Wilson he used to be a solicitor. He's, he's out in the States. He, uh, he kind of did the digital nomading remote work thing. And his latest content is all about, uh, well, guys, you know, I taught you how to build these websites using WordPress and Elementor and, you know, WooCommerce plugins and whatever else. But uh, maybe just use this AI thing because you don't need to know any of that anymore. I have some inside baseball, some of which I can talk about and some of which I can't. In 2012-ish, I was at a lecture by a guy who's public. So I'll tell you about the public stuff. And then I'll tell you anecdotally about our findings. So I went to this this lecture by this guy because we were exploring AI for some of the projects we were on, where we're dealing with terabytes, petabytes, like so much data. You can never process it all. Let me tell you about the problem and then I'll project as to how that impacts us. So we're dealing with all this data. We can't process it all. And instead, what we're doing is just saying, well, what's the tiny bit of information we really need to make these important decisions? And Dr. Ian Pearson, just to give you a bit of background, inventor, invented text messaging in the early 90s. Like, he's the inventor of text messaging. Presented it to the the execs at BT and went, look at this text messaging thing. And they went, text messaging? You mean like people would have to type in words on their phone to send to one another? He's like, yeah, yeah, that's, that's the idea. And they go... Why would anyone do that? They'll just pick up the phone and phone one another. Get back to work. Stop messing around. Smart, really smart guy. And we looked at like carbon nanotube clouds and things. These are his patents. It's all public this, so I'm not telling you anything wacky. But these are basically, it's got this design to launch rockets uh, very, very efficiently, very greenly. So rather than using lots of rocket fuel to send them up into space, you put these carbon nanotubes into the atmosphere. They deploy as clouds. So, you know, massive big surface area. You stick a winch on there and then winch the rocket up very, very fast and, and then project it into space or across the atmosphere. And then the drag of the cloud, this carbon nanotube cloud, like you've seen, you know, Iron Man in the latest Iron Man, where he deploys like his shield. And goes, <laughs> massive carbon nanotube technology. Very, very early, not deployable. You know, it's this is future stuff. And he was saying, you know, we can use that to launch rockets. All these fascinating, fascinating concepts. Now, the, the part of his presentation that stood out to me was he threw this graph up and he said, look, we've got this graph that shows time on, on one axis and then development of technology on the other axis. And it was this exponential graph going up, up and to the right, you know, like a hockey stick graph of this is technology and our reliance on it. This is how reliance is increasing over time as it advances over time. We are becoming more and more and more reliant. And that's kind of like, well, duh, like people don't use maps anymore. Everybody is connected to the internet to do pretty fundamental things. Like we were talking this morning about I've got like a smart home and installed some new smart technology for security and whatever else. And, and it failed because it lost connection. And, you know, we, we it's different. I'm not saying it's bad. I'm saying, but we are reliant on it now to perform our everyday actions. You know, real fundamental stuff like people just used to knock on the door. You know, no one does that anymore. Do they not? Do they? I, do, I still knock on the door. <laughs> yeah, no, no one knocks on it because we've got a fancy like stained glass window. So people are frightened of hitting it. But I thought you meant because everyone's using a keyless door, but I feel like that's still a way away. Yeah, well, I mean, a lot of the facilities I work in, everything's keyless. Like, it's it's bizarre I, to come to a door and touch it. Um, it's quite good for COVID and, and things like that. Anyway, and then on this graph where we had this exponential reliance on technology, we had an inverse relationship of people that understand the technology 
And that makes sense, doesn't it? Because you think about the percentage of people that are data scientists and like high flying engineers, you're talking like Nobel Prize winners, you know, how many of them are there? And then you say, okay, and then there's like technologists that are really smart people. And then you've got probably like senior engineers and then you know, top quality engineers, because let's just be clear, these skills require that technical knowledge, scientists, doctors, like people that have spent their lives studying it to really understand it. And then there's the rest of us. <laughs> and then there's people that are like, oh, forget it, like not even interested. And that kind of, that intuitively makes sense, doesn't it? Like as this technology gets more and more complicated and it becomes more ubiquitous, like fewer and fewer people will understand it. And that makes sense. And I think that's what we're starting to see. You know, I spoke about, oh, well, we had this massive data problem. We just couldn't process it all. Well, what technology is really, and, and AI is really good at doing, like Google does, well, do you know what? Like 80% of that, don't worry about it. And it's this, Pareto's principle, it's, it's not actually the 80-20, well, it's a bit 80-20 rule, it's actually a square rule, because it gets more and more valuable. So 80% of it, no good, 20% of it, valuable. But then you can apply that same principle to that top 20%, and 20% of the 20%, so 4%, is really valuable, and that 80% isn't. And then the same to the 4%, and you end up with like this tiny, minute point, whatever of a percent, that is the most valuable activity, execution, data decision that you can make. And this is a lot of what we talk about when we're talking about optimization. It's like, well, what's the decision you can make? What's the one thing you can do? And you see this in a million... It's going to have the biggest effect. Exactly. And and so this is my projection with AI. All right, give it to me. What do you think? I think you're going to end up with a lot of people that understand it get very rich, very, very rich. But then I think where we're going to see the breakthrough company is where Google really made the internet breakthrough like people worked on the internet for 30 40 years and everyone was like yeah it's a toy it's for business it's complicated it's for doctors you know scientists and whatever else and there's like oh google search you mean i just asked this thing with spelling errors like (laughs) incorrect punctuation and whatever else and it just gives me an answer oh okay well i can do that and i think that we're going to see that and then i think the other thing that's very true is ai is in everything and, but you wouldn't say, oh, that's AI. So for instance, you don't know, you, like people use Alexa and th- there is an AI voice recognition bit of software on the back end of that. But, but you don't know, you don't think about that. You just use it. You do your online shop. Yeah, same for us in the ads world. Like all the ads platforms have got some type of machine learning in there, essentially, because, you know, it, they have to process so many bids per nanosecond that it would be impossible for a human to do that but then they can't just process the bids you know without some thought and understanding about what's happened in the past and making predictions about what might happen in the future for these ads so yeah like it's definitely not something that's just arrived I think no definitely so I've got a couple of predictions for 2023 I think the recession is going to accelerate the use of AI and I'll explain what I mean by that I think we're going to see high labor expenses where you would typically go for full-time equivalent staff or you would take the time to train someone else. I think we're going to see a lot of those activities being replaced by AI. So I've seen AI meme generators, AI video generators, AI, we, we talked a lot about AI copy generators. I think we're going to see a lot of the, from from a content production point of view, I think we're going to see those AI tools just proliferate. Like, go absolutely nuts. I think the technology has now reached a point where it's stable and good enough that people can build quality tools all on the top of it. 
I think that's one thing we're going to see. And then the second thing we're going to start to see is on the consumer side, people getting on board with, yeah, well, it might be AI, but I'm okay having a relationship with it. I'm okay that I follow this influencer that's just AI. And and that's already started to happen on the fringes. I think we're now going to see that as like a quality thing. I think people's adoption and acceptance, because it's now good enough that people are okay with it. And we're seeing a lot of the Gen Zers like, well, I'm more accepting, I'm more fluid with, you know, what reality is. And we're seeing a lot of those old fashioned beliefs, feelings and whatever else start to degrade. So I think we're going to see those two things. And the final thing I think we're going to see is the automation of a lot of the work that we do through AI learning how to do the processes. So that's even where you're in a creative role, even where you're in a technically advanced role. So for instance, GitHub Copilot. So GitHub is a code repository for, for anyone that doesn't know. This is what software engineers often use. It's very, very popular to store your code that you are using to build a tool. There is an AI tool to help you write the code in there now. And it's learned from all the repositories that everyone's put in there. It's incredible. That's what I'm quite excited about. I saw a guy on Twitter talking about how he had done pair programming. I think we talked about this on the episode, pair programming with chat GPT, which, yeah, it's just amazing, right? It's absolutely unreal. I mean, you you now, without any software knowledge, can say, hey, chat GPT, you know, create me a HTML framework for a web page with, you know, these attributes. And I'll go, yeah, okay, I know what that looks like because it's just text. It'll write you JSON queries. It'll write you interfaces to APIs. It will write you like really difficult, I say really difficult technical stuff, stuff like if you're competent, willing to learn and technically able, you're talking six, 12 months to learn these skills. Now you can sort of get the idea of the framework. And this is kind of the boat I'd put myself in. Like I can break software. I can hack around and make it not work. Now I can make it work and then check my work against chat GTP3 and go, can you just tell me how you write, you know, a, a Boolean query for whatever? I go, yeah, looks like this. I'm like, oh yeah, that's right. I've missed out whatever this variable was. Cool. Unreal, like unreal. I think people will start turning to chat GPT and the subsidiaries who end up using its tech rather than Google. I know there's been a lot of talk online, which is, no, Google won't let that happen. And they're so programmed to use Google that would just take forever. But to your point earlier about the text message tech, it doesn't take much for people to adopt a technology if they can see the benefit in it. And the benefit I can see here right is yes do you know what right it has taken all of the internet's knowledge and scraped every website in the world and and turned it into this like central repository but google does that anyway right and the friction of googling something is that you need you never quite know what answer you're going to get and the answers that are at the top of search engine result pages quite often investment and time has been put into them to make sure that they're showing at the top. Whether they're actually accurate or great knowledge is another question, right? Especially if there is... Yeah, yeah, the quality of them. Yeah, especially if there's a commercial advantage for you having a knowledge-based article show at the top of a search result. There's so much junk in search. I'll, I'll just, you know, say it. I think there's a lot of junk in search where the commercial objective outweighs the answering the question objective, like the knowledge objective. And 
And, you know, this is why Google brought out their useful content update last year, because they're, they're through their own AI and machine learning are trying to filter that stuff out and really get the answers to stuff. However, from a user point of view, we got on board. We learned how to use Google all those years ago. We learned how to add Boolean and play around and know never to go to a second page of search results and all of these other things, right? But you don't have to do that with a chat conversational tool. You just ask it a question and it gives you an answer. And the answer should be based on fact. It should be based on looking at all of the available data and coming to, you know, together with a conclusion. And if you're looking for an answer to a well-known question, it, that just seems like a better user experience to me than sifting through loads of search engine results. Definitely. Well, let, let's just talk about the a, a couple of things. Um, you said you know people have people whoever they are have said you know google won't let that happen well let's be clear google doesn't have a monopoly on the internet like google is an application that runs on the internet technology like their advances are that they have built hardware that is can more efficiently comb the web like that's their big technical breakthrough with google they built their own servers that were capable of very quickly processing all this information which is in other repositories other people host the most of the information that is on the web and google's just very good at sorting through that information and then they create their own database which think of it like a, a very clever you know this uh, vicky so so i'm saying this for the third chair's benefit like think of this as like a really smart content page in a book like that's what google owns and basically chat gtp3 has got a much better version of the content page and rather than them saying oh you want the answer that's on page 27 and here's the link to it chat dgp3 goes well i think it's most of the answer on page 27 but a little bit of something that's on page 346 so i'm just going to combine that and serve you up as text information so google can't stop this like let, let's be clear google don't have the say and I think a real litmus test for me will be when we start to see doctors, and I'm talking medical professionals, use chat DTP3 for diagnosis. Because, and, and that is possible. Well, they were all using Google anyway. <laughs> well, they were, yeah. But, it, but if, if chat DTP3 can bring in referencing, because just imagine, like, I think the average number of readers of a published paper is seven. So for every, like, someone spends five, six, ten years doing a piece of research, on an average, it gets seven readers. One of them is their mother, the other one's their professor, another one's a friend, one of them's my wife because she reads everything. So, so you're only actually getting three new people find out about this thing. But chat DTP3 could change that. And if you could give these answers and if you could give the reference in, I think there's a, a revolution to be had. Now, my wife's a doctor for clarity and she, and she always like pushes back. Be like, no, this protocol, it's got to be accepted, blah, 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 blah. And I'm going, yeah, but if you can crack that nut, like proliferation of information could be so great. And anyone that learns to use this, you know, they, they could be off for the races. 100%. And I think, you know, there's a couple of things just to take into account here. Like we look to say Wikipedia always appears at the top of search results for a particular answer, right? And we always treat Wikipedia as a source of truth. But the reality is that Wikipedia is made up of a community of great people who come in and they love it, like they're nerds for it, doing source checks, right? But they get their sources from third-party popular articles, often news outlets. And the assumption is that that news outlet would be publishing something that was true, right? But quite often, as we know, things aren't always fact-checked in the media. So there's a flaw there in the information that's being given, but there's a, 
an, an immense trust <laughs> that's been put into Wikipedia, or even the peer review process that journal, you know published journal. Yeah, it's, it's a peer reviewing it. It's based on someone's. They're supposed to be good, but we all know like mistakes get made there. So you know, but it's bias. Everyone's got their own bias. Of course they have. Yeah. Yeah. So you know, if we can get to a place where the chat is outputting is as close to an assumption of well-regarded sources as possible and then maybe it has footnotes so that you can make your own decisions a little bit like what elon's done with community notes on on twitter at the moment so that there's like some real input yeah i I think that could be a game changer the other thing as well is you know for website owners who are slaves (laughs) to optimizing their site for google what if in two three four five years you were optimizing your site for ai (laughs) And then how often would you need to do that? Because at some point, would the AI just go, I've got this, I'll take it from here. Thanks for giving me all the info, you know, that I know. Just check in once a year for like an MOT, just to re-update me on your business goals or or things like that as well. I think newsletters, like having one-to-one relationships with your customers is going to become more important than ever. Like search. Like personalised content, yeah. Yeah, I think search is going to be disrupted big time but but you could see it again like if this is happening with text but it could happen with the second biggest search engine youtube like well what if all of a sudden rather than trying to find a video or trying to find a movie or trying to find a social media content is already produced but curated for me that fits my profile if it's all generated organically on demand you see the one of one creation like you search for how to mend my boiler and what if ai is so good that it can go I know who you are. I know what boiler you've got. Here's a video on how to mend the problem. And it's completely like auto-generated. It wasn't recorded by someone. No. And then you go, well, who owns that? And where does that come from? And like, and you think about the computing power. Is that even possible? I mean, it's a movies. Like you could get onto Netflix and rather than being displayed, like all these pre-recorded videos and whatever else, like could be auto-generated. We're so close to Ready Player One. It is unreal. <laughs> I don't, okay. I just... I feel like there is, and just like in Ready Player One, okay, there is always rebels, right, in the human race who don't want to play. Like you think about Dave Eggers in The Circle, right, that book. I don't know if you've read it. It's, it's pretty good. The protagonist is a, is a girl who gets sort of blended into this massive social media corporation who want to, like, monitor everyone all day, every day. I do know. What's a face that was in Harry Potter? Sorry, that's really unfair that I'm pigeonholing. Oh, there was a movie. I haven't seen the movie. I've only read the book. Sorry, I'm too cool. Oh, sorry. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) But, um, you know, there was a rebellious group of people who didn't want to play along and, you know, went off to live in the forest at the end. uh, Spoiler alert, probably don't you know don't don't take me for bait and listening to that but there's a good story in between I think there's always going to be humans who are like nah I'm good for that I want to create my own taste you know create my own identity I don't want AI to to feed that to me and will rebel against that yeah definitely definitely you know we're individual selfish creatures <laughs> you know AI could augment our personalities and augment our identities right but we still need that agency of choice, I think. I definitely. And and I think that's that's where adoption will come in. I guess what we're talking about is the adoption curve. Do we think this adoption curve is growing or shrinking? It doesn't mean it's the whole market. It doesn't mean it's the only market. It doesn't mean that it's, you know, perfect in every way. We're just saying, are most people going to end up adopting this one way or another? A couple more, like, clickbaity statements that maybe 
will get people thinking. And then I reckon we, we do our other episode on stuff. It's already replacing low difficulty technical jobs. Like if you just want to write content, content farms knackered, like, or at least going to be very heavily enabled by AI. Same with video editing, same with all the content jobs. The things that's scary, interesting is that it's now starting to encroach on professional jobs, jobs that we had typically higher barrier, barrier to entry. You had to spend hundred grand or so on getting the qualifications to be there. So lawyers, doctors, dentists, uh, maybe not dentists, that's a very manual job, architects, engineers. AI is very least enabling your job, but it's certainly getting like making the top tier people more efficient because the top tier people do that 20% of the editing of the data that we spoke about earlier. That's what's interesting. And who knows, maybe it'll even come for podcasting. So I don't know what we want to title this episode. Go on, what are your predictions, Vicky? I was just going to say before that you, you were asking about adoption, and I think I can see this right now in a little Petri dish in my own membership because I was talking about AI to them last week, a couple of weeks ago. In an hour session, I said, I'm going to create a campaign for 2023, a marketing campaign, and I'm going to use AI, demo it to you right now, and I'm going to create the hook, I'm going to create the campaign idea, and I'm going to write like the first post, and if I can do this, you can do this as well. And we did it. We, we created like a hook for a beauty campaign for a skincare product, right? The inspiration I think it evoked was really telling because people who perhaps are tech averse, right? They, they follow me because they want knowledge about tech, right? I have often avoided talking about high concept stuff, but I thought, no, we're going to go all in on this because I think you guys can pick it up. And all it needed was an effective demo. Another great example of this as well, I think, is Daniel Priestley from Denk Consulting. Key person of influence. Yeah, yeah. he wrote Key Person of Influence amongst uh, other great books like Oversubscribed and whatnot. He's a partner in a software company called Score App, which is basically like quiz and question funnels, right? He did a demo uh, the week before last showing how you can write your... A scorecard funnel using AI and he did it in 15 minutes he basically had a bunch of questions he's not soft is he he had a bunch of questions that you can ask it to output the meaningful questions that you could put into your scorecard to take people through because it's basically a question and answer funnel and then when people get to the end they get a score and if they get a certain score you know they're a good quality lead or not right but what often puts people off of trying it is knowing like the questions to ask and he he just used chat gpt to ask the questions and the the response yeah the responses in the comments took off again you can just see that he really hit a nerve here and all it takes is the right people to show the right application of this for next year and move away from the is it going to take our jobs is it going to do this it is really show you how you can improve very quickly something that might have been holding you back in your business and as chief optimization officers you know for us talking about AI I can see us doing this a lot next year as well and in future episodes because if you can improve the processes if you can improve the systems if you can improve the sales marketing the production the customer service the output the content creation all of these parts of a business that make up the whole then great as far as I'm concerned <laughs> because it, it, it we come back to it again and again it's always time or knowledge or budget that slow you down being able to do these things. Something that I wish that I asked you on every episode 
um, but I will remember to ask you, is it, your membership, where do people find that? Where do people get involved? <laughs> it's it's called, I've just relaunched it actually, so it's called The Squad. The Squad. What's the URL? So it's um, thesquadmembership.com. We spoke about it a few times, like if you want to see some of this stuff in action, I suggest pe- people go have a look at it, go have a, a nosy in Vicky's membership or, or get in touch and ask some questions, definitely. Oh, it's one of the happiest places on the internet, my little world. There's 100, 150 odd of us in there just chatting about marketing and, and sales. And it's a way of being able to help small business for me, being able to help small businesses who can't afford working with me at a consultancy level or with the agency. So I, I just love all the people in there. <laughs> like genuinely, I know them all. I know <laughs> what they do for their businesses. And yeah, we just have a lot of fun doing weekly trainings and just talking like I'm talking with you now. So that's awesome. Cool. <laughs> all right ai it is i've got a feeling we'll come back and talk about this again definitely if you've been listening and you want to fact check anything we've said as someone really enjoyed doing <laughs> on youtube thank you very much fact check anything sam has said sam has said yeah <laughs> no in all seriousness i'm going to create a spreadsheet of all the facts that we've mentioned that weren't facts and uh, we'll never look at it but no, thank you. For, for, <laughs> thank you for, for commenting. But seriously, um, we think most people are listening on Apple Podcasts. So we love you. Thank you. Go and please review us. We'd love you. We might even run a competition in the future, I think, uh, to people who listen. That'd be good. Yeah. For anyone that's commented. Yeah. Yeah. So we'll, maybe we'll talk about that in the new year. But yeah, if anyone's left a review, we might do something with you. So get ahead of it. Get ahead of the game and go and leave us a review and tell us what you think. For sure. And if you know anyone else that might enjoy our podcast, it would make a huge difference if you would share it with a friend, share it on an email, share it in any WhatsApp groups you're in. All the support really genuinely does make a difference. And we're seeing it in the growth figures. So yeah, thank you. And happy new year to everyone. I guess this will be going out in 2023. It's still uh, December 22nd, 2022 at the time recording. So yeah, look forward to 2023 together.